We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Women's basketball. Not an afterthought. Not a charity case. Not a throw-in. It's not ignored. It's here. It's staying. It's only going to get bigger. And on a historic weekend for the sport, it's LSU on top for the first time ever. Welcome back to the final edition, women's basketball edition of CSN for calendar year. Check that. Regular year, 2022-2023. Rob Joyce, Megan Gower. Megan, Friday night, I tuned into ABC, so I watched Shark Tank in 2020. And then Sunday night, I watched American Idol because it's 2003. Did I miss anything good since since they didn't put women's games there? (laughs) Yeah, it's a real shame, especially those Friday games were not on ABC because they weren't very good. (laughs) phenomenal weekend for the sport as a whole. You were in Dallas. You were all over the state of Texas. Give me the sense inside the arena, record setting. We know the viewership numbers on TV were record setting, record setting attendance overall. What was it like Friday night, Sunday, just the whole the whole weekend in general? Yeah, I mean, the fans definitely showed out. It was very full in the American Airlines Center. Um, I felt like, honestly, I was also in Houston for the men's Final Four, and it like the times it was definitely louder in the American Airlines Center than it was in in Houston and uh, the Iowa fans in particular. I thought I mean every team had their fans there, but it was definitely a pro hot guys crowd. Megan has had quite the weekend, and I say this with all the goodness in my heart. You're a psycho. Two round trip <laughs> car rides from yeah. so you landed in Dallas on Wednesday. You're in Dallas Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You and Gabe drove up to Houston for the final four. Then what did you drive back Sunday morning? We drove back Saturday night after the game because the drove back game Saturday was so night early on Sunday. Yep. <laughs> and then yeah. the women's game is at two thirty Central Sunday. You do you do all all you know all the coverage. You watch the game. You had your podcast. Then you woke up Monday and did it again. Yep. <laughs> At least you saw your uh, your alma mater win its fifth men's national championship uh, in in twenty four years. So, yes. 
You're sitting in an airport terminal in Dallas. Probably going to sleep well on the plane. So I'm feeling a little bit spicy yes. today. I've got some <laughs> takes. Congrats to LSU. Call me crazy, though. I want to talk about the game. LSU scored 102 points. Caitlin Clark, legendary tournament run despite the loss. Iowa, historic run for the program. We'll have to talk about it eventually. I don't want to talk about officials. I don't want to talk about proper decorum and gatekeeping and how to celebrate wins and losses. We can get to that later, but not now because the teams and players and the sport in general deserve it after what was a great weekend. So, Megan, we'll go in chronological order here. We're going to start all the way back. There's a lot of basketball to go, but game one on Friday, LSU beats Virginia Tech 78-72 in a game that the first and fourth quarters belong to the Tigers. The middle two belong to the Hokies. What were your takeaways from that first game on Friday? Yeah, I thought Virginia Tech came out. I mean, they were looked a little shaken up in that first quarter, but then they came out and for kind of like three quarters of the game were able to almost in a way beat you at their own game. They were dominating the boards. They were getting shots. They were doing everything they needed to do, but LSU ultimately... In that fourth quarter, does what we've seen LSU do, and in particular, what Angel Reese and Alexis Morris do in terms of just really taking over the game, dominating the glass, and able to. I think they started the fourth quarter on a twenty-two to three run to make it to the final game. Yeah, twenty-six to eleven fourth quarter. They had a fifty-two fourteen edge in points in the paint, which is just wild. I, I think something that you and I both missed last week. We I think we talked about this game so analytically. I think Virginia Tech still, if you if they played seven times, probably it might go to seven games, but I think they win four to three. But but I think we forgot to include the co- the coaches here because in the first quarter, now none of the players have ever been to a final four, but in that first quarter, the moment looked way too big for Virginia Tech. And Kim Mulkey looked like she had her team cool, calm, prepared. Once the game kind of settled in, the better team in the kind of the flow of the game, I thought came out in Virginia Tech in the second and third quarter. And then in the fourth, when the the lights are brightest and things really start to get tense, that's where the mulky coaching comes back in because Virginia Tech looked like they had no idea what to do in the fourth quarter with, you know, 10 minutes away from a national championship trip on the lawn. Yeah, they really just couldn't execute down the stretch. And I think when you're in a, a game like that, it's a... Final four game, it's close. Not being able to execute uh, down the stretch of the game is, is going to cost you that one minute we saw happen there. And hit shots, had a few pretty rough turnovers, and LSU really We can talk more about Alexis Morris when we get to Sunday's game, but Angel Reese won Final Four Most Outstanding Player, and she was good in both games, don't get me wrong, but I feel like she wasn't at her best in either game which she really wasn't, I feel like, for most of the tournament, which just speaks volumes of LSU because they had so many other players step forth. I saw, I thought second time in a couple of games, Ladeja Williams was probably LSU's most important player. Alexis Morris stepped up. Uh, you know, Obviously, we'll get to Jasmine Carson in, in the championship game, but the supporting cast, it wasn't just Angel Reese. Yeah, and I think that's a big part of why they won the championship because they were able to get what they needed from everyone else. I thought, especially like you said, with Deja Williams, was fantastic. But she got kind of snubbed from that that all tournament team. Felt like she could have been been on there. She was a big part of their success um, in this run. But yeah, they got what they needed from their supporting cast. And I think we talked about that a little bit last week as being kind of a critical thing in the matchup. But you can't just be 
Reese and Morris, and it couldn't just be Kitley and Amon. Yeah, even Flage Johnson, I don't remember which game it was, but she was quiet again offensively. But I think her first field goal was the steal and a go ahead bucket. Uh, that might have been in the Virginia Tech game. But yeah, everyone for LSU showed up for the Virginia Tech side. Georgia Amor finally came back down to life. Elizabeth Kitley had one field goal attempt in the fourth quarter. Compare that to Alexis Morris, Angel Reese. They had 20 points combined in the fourth quarter. So what was the ultimate difference? Two stars for the Tigers. I don't want to say showed up, but vastly outplayed the two stars for Virginia Tech. Yeah, I think it's tough to win. Yeah. Kind of need that. Like we're going to talk about, I think, in the second game, too. But you kind of need that to win at that stage. Yes. So let's talk Virginia Tech's future real quick before we get to the primetime event Friday. Georgia Amor was already coming back. She was a she's a junior. Elizabeth Kitley announced at halftime of Sunday's game that she'd be using her COVID year. Kayla King is coming back. So that's three important pieces for a team that only played six players. The other three, uh, Soul Trailer and Greg, they're all leaving, at least as far as I know. So Virginia Tech, a historic season. Their two most important pieces are coming back. They have a lot. They have to replace everything else. So what's your sense on the, the future outlook for this Hokies team? I feel like it's hard to say right now because you don't know what they're going to get in. But I think, sure. you know, having coming off Final Four is probably going to help them out in the portal a little bit. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of interest from people in, in going there, going to play for Kenny Brooks. Um, so I think that'll help them. Like you said, they've got three important pieces back. You obviously need more than three important pieces in order to to make it back to this level kind of next year. So I think it's going to come down to what they can get in the portal. I don't know exactly what they have been coming in recruit-wise, but it could be. As long as they get a couple of pieces, I think they're going to be pretty good next year. Yeah, and the ACC is very intriguing next year. So LSU won the first game Friday, 79-72. The crowd shots early on were empty, well, not empty, but not as full as game two, as as I imagine Iowa and South Carolina fans were filing in. But give us a sense of what what it was like for that game in particular. And was it your first time seeing Caitlin Clark live? It was my first time seeing Caitlin Clark live. So, so that was what is it like incredible. compared to we see all the greatness on TV? What's it like live? Now, I know you were also you weren't right courtside. Yeah, yeah. Uh, still high up, but I don't know. I feel like there's always just something about seeing someone play like that live, and then especially have a performance like that live in the game that she had against South Carolina. Um, I mean, it look every time she shoots the ball, it looks like it go, it's going. It's fired off from. It's pretty insane. Yeah, she followed up a 41-point triple-double in the Elite Eight with a 41-point performance against the undefeated defending national champion with Arguably the best defense we've ever seen in women's college basketball. Iowa broke the system again. We mentioned, you know, I had my whole thing last week about how they couldn't make a final four because of history. And then they went and, you know, busted it up. And last week we talked so much. How does Iowa beat South Carolina? And they kind of broke that system again because they didn't have a million more threes than them. They, you know, you figured, I think they were plus nine or plus 12 in threes. Like we, we figured they'd have to make seven, eight, nine more. That didn't happen. They got murdered on the glass, just obliterated. The you know, Warnock, Martin, Marshall, Stolke, none of them did a whole lot. Even, even Clark, she had a great scoring night, but she wasn't overly efficient. But the defense, I know the point total was what it was. The defense really shut down South Carolina and, and even fits all night. 
Yeah, they did a really good job. I think we've seen a lot of teams try this and not maybe as effectively as Iowa has executed it this season, but they did a really good job of packing it in the paint and kind of daring South Carolina to hit threes. They didn't hit very many threes, so it, it worked really well. I think a lot of times we see teams start in that and then maybe they knocked out a couple of threes and then they shift it. But I liked Iowa's game plan to kind of just stick with it even when Raven Johnson kind of knocked down those couple threes. They just they kept playing by that game and I think you you take that like if South Carolina beats you on threes, they beat you on threes, but they weren't able to do that against Iowa. It was interesting that Maryland put so much pressure on those South Carolina guards and then Iowa did as as opposite of that as you could possibly do and just baiting them into shooting. And they did that despite the fact that Zaya Cook, you know, without Zaya Cook, this is a blowout. She was great. Yeah. Zaya was fantastic in that game. I mean, she carried them, especially in the first half. We lost them in foul trouble. They played eight minutes in the first half. But I think Zaya was basically going basket for basket with Kayla Clark in that first half. I think they both had 18 and 19 or right around there somewhere at the end of the, the first 20 minutes there. So she was really able to, to carry their offense. Lee Boston, no points, two fouls in the first quarter. She was two of nine all night. I thought Olivia, Olivia Thompson, who is a very rarely used reserve. She earned a scholarship a couple of years ago. She played in the second quarter. I thought that was, thought that was pretty desperate and, and kind of gave us a sign that uh, South Carolina was really shook by Iowa. And then are you surprised that, you know, the, the, the clips of Bree Beal guarding Caitlin Clark and Clark basically driving around her like she was standing still, but still, were you surprised that Beal wasn't on Clark more? Yeah, I think they, whatever they threw at Clark didn't work, but also felt like they kind of just stuck to, to like one person on Clark the whole game and just gave her way too much room to, to go to work and be able to do what she likes to do. Um, it was an interesting, I think, defensive strategy with like Gabby Marshall and the kind of Warnock on threes, but to live with just like Clark and Sonato being able to run everything they want and beat you is, is an interesting choice defensively. Absolutely. So South Carolina, the win streak is over. The Freshies, we are recording this on Tuesday evening. We'll release it on the CSN feed Wednesday morning. As of this moment, Zaya Cook has not announced her intentions, but the other three Freshies, sorry, Olivia Thompson, three of the four Freshies, Leticia and me here, Bree Beal and Leah Boston are off to the WNBA. Be, uh, Cook is an interesting case because she looked really good, but one game doesn't make you know WNBA resume. Uh, but if she would were to come back, South Carolina's obviously their odds for next year would would improve. But what do you what is the legacy of this group that was so heralded coming in? We're never going to know what would have happened in 2020 when they were freshmen, but they leave with a national title, a couple of Final Four semifinal defeats. I think it's just a shame that we that. For Leah Boston in particular, she's obviously the superstar there. I hope her legacy is more, and I think it will be, more than the missed layup against Stanford and more than eight points in her final collegiate game on two of nine shooting. Yeah, and I, I think it is. I think this group kind of established South Carolina as one of the, the top programs in the country. Yeah, they have the title with Asia, but I think you know the first one and one to have it with a superstar like that it's like okay you won one but can you sustain that excellence and I think that's what separates you know the top programs in the country that are perennially the top programs in the country and this group has kind of brought South Carolina to one of those top programs in women's college basketball they built Asia Wilson 
an actual statue in front of Colonial Life and Aaliyah Boston somehow lived up to the expectations of being the number one recruit of basically she came in. There was a year gap between the two. Were there? Or did she come in right after? There was a, there was a gap year there, 2019. There was a gap, yeah. But she comes in basically in the shadow of the greatest player South Carolina's ever had. Uh, you know, WNBA, MVP, gold medal winner, all this stuff, and somehow managed to build her own legacy. And they're probably going to build her a statue, too. And it's extremely well-deserved because she's also just a phenomenal human being. So South Carolina falls to Iowa, which sets up Sunday's national title game. And we'll start with the good stuff in terms of the actual game, the actual players, not the three other people who are on the floor. Holy moly, LSU. Good God. Where did the three-point shooting come from? Yeah, I think if you're Iowa, you just kind of have to tip your hat and be like, well, if that's how they beat us, that's how they beat us because they shot a, a, their second-best percentage from three. I forget the total. I think it was like 11, 13, like three, something ridiculous, whatever it was. Especially in that first half, they were just so hot from the perimeter. And I think it wasn't even their stars. It was, you know, the reserves and everyone else really stepping up for them in terms of coming out and building that lead early on that eventually carried them to the win. I will say, you know, we took our lumps last week. The Iowa defense that we just hated on for an entire, you know, two months absolutely showed up on Sunday. Like LSU, credit to them, they made the shots. How many of those threes were actually contested? How many of those twos were actually contested? Very few of them. You know, if you give up 59 points and a half, yes, one team is making shots. The other probably means you leave a lot to be desired on the other end. So, I, you know, we're not going to say I told you so. They made a national championship game with the greatest individual run I've ever seen in my life. But Iowa picked a bad time to revert back to the norm defensively. Yeah, I was a little fresh with myself. I think like Friday was like the one time that I was like, okay, I'm going to say that Iowa could win it all now and not hard on their defense. But yeah, stuck with what I always say. <laughs> I guess we have to talk. Well, you know, we'll, we'll talk about Jasmine Carson first because she was the star in the first half. She scored like 11 points in the entire tournament. She got benched by Kim Mulkey late in the year. I don't think she scored in the three games leading up. And then suddenly she was out dueling Caitlin Clark. And then she freaking banked in the three at, at halftime with Angel Reese on the bench with two fouls and LSU extended the lead. You know, whether they did it by threes or twos or however, I think that was the sign of, oh, I was in deep trouble here because LSU's best player, you didn't see her for the last 12 minutes and somehow you're down by more. Yeah, exactly. I think seeing them go into the half, it's, you know, sometimes you go into a half with a big deficit and you're like, oh, they could still come back. It did not feel like that on, on Sunday. And I think that's the big key there is that they were already down without Angel Reese on the floor. And now you're going to have Reese back out on the floor. It's really hard to make a comeback in that situation. They almost did, though. The third quarter, it felt felt over. I mean, when teams up 21 in the second half, most games feel over. But then, you know, snap of a finger, 15 to 2 run. It's down to single digits. Single digits against Iowa feels a lot less comfortable than most teams. Did you Did you think they had it in them? in that third quarter when they went on that run? There was a little part of me that did, but they went on that run, cut it, and I was like, there's a lot of time left now, but I think very quickly afterwards, LSU made a little bit of a run of their own, and that kind of just felt like the dagger. 
there was also another, it's not even a play in the third quarter that I think made a little bit of a difference. You want to talk about the zebras? Uh, I think we have to, unfortunately. It's a shame that they made themselves the star of the championship game, but yes. LSU won the game deservedly. If the officiating wasn't the story, I think they still win. I mean, they freaking scored 102 points. Like, you're going to win when you do that. I went on a rant last week about, you know, don't complain about the officials. There's no conspiracy theories. And I stand by that part of it, but God, that was the most embarrassing officiating for a big game I've ever seen. And I'm trying not to be a prisoner of the moment, but I can't think of a worse one. And it was the national title game. Like, it, you know, it starts from the very beginning with all this ticky tap crap. And then the, the Caitlin Clark technical was, I don't even want to say the cherry on top because that was forget everything else that happened in the game. The technical was an abomination. Yeah, it was one of the weakest technical calls I've ever seen in the, in the national championship game. On top of that, just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, and the, I feel like the explanation for it didn't really make sense. They just said it was like they'd already given them like a delay of game warning or something. I don't know. It just was like, it wasn't, it was so unnecessary. I may have so misheard. I, I I think they went to the, the little monitor thing where they can basically talk to television and say it was a combo of the throwing of the ball which is absurd. And then use of language. When, when you see the replay, she's just in the huddle talking to her teammates. And I know we all have these thoughts of, you know, what women should be. They swear. It's okay. <laughs> like that the world isn't going to collapse because Caitlin Clark used some naughty language to her teammates, not even to the official. You're trying to grow the game. Of course, that's not the thought as you're playing the game or coaching or officiating, but good God. There were 10 million people that watched the game, far and away a record. How many new fans were there and just immediately went, this is unwatchable because Caitlin Clark is on the bench in the second half. Angel Reese, or in the yeah second half, Angel Reese didn't play in the second quarter. Monica Sonano fouled out because the officials decided to make it about themselves. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Agreed. It was just the worst place for that to happen is in the national championship game on ABC with that kind of eyes on it. And just to end the season like that in terms of an officiating performance was awful. I'm glad. I know you didn't watch the broadcast because you were there. A lot of national commentators, they'll tread lightly. Oh, I disagreed with the call. Or maybe they'll just kind of leave it silent of, ooh, I don't know. Ryan Rucco and Rebecca Lobo just kind of teed off on them. So kudos to both of them for speaking the truth in the moment, regardless of whether it was Caitlin Clark or the seventh person off the bench, because everyone had 12 players that played because everyone was in foul trouble. It's, you know, the, the, on the, there's been a lot of talk this year about how men's officials, they'll take red eye flights and they're contract workers. So they just take what they can get. Nice paycheck. Add that to women's basketball and like everything else in the world probably cut off 25% of the pay and it's the same issue in women's basketball. So hopefully that is the kickstart of something better to come of what was sadly the headline until the waning moments of LSU celebrating. But before we get to that, Alexis Morris, two points in the first half. She had 19 in the second half. I thought, frankly, she should have been final four most outstanding player. I thought she was great in both games. She was, she had, 30 points almost in the two fourth quarters. She put the game away. 
Yeah, I think honestly, part of that might have just been like when you had to vote for Final Four was outstanding player, and then sure. she went on off in that the fourth quarter. So it was like, yeah, as the final buzzer was going off, there was like, yeah, maybe she should have been, but you already had to have your ballot in. Um, but yeah, she was fantastic for them in, in both games and really helped carry them to stay in the lead. I mean, I think it was their LSU's bench and their depth that built that lead in the first half, but then. Uh, recent Morris got really carried by and then I love that you go on the timeline on Sunday and it was just full of women's basketball it was full of LSU and Iowa and then Angel Reese broke the internet because she had the audacity to be herself on, on national TV I don't want to get too far into it I think a lot of, you know, people listen, this, this particular audience is probably all on the same side, but needless to say, I don't care what Angel Reese did. Good on her. Good on Caitlin Clark for just taking it. And she said today she had no problem with it. This is a whole nothing burger that somehow has dominated ESPN and every, every sports outlet in the world. International championship. Like I, I see no issue with it. I mean, Caitlin Clark talks a lot of trash too. They both talk a lot of trash. It was part of why the matchup was going to be so fun. It's all good. It's all in good fun. If if it's your first time watching, that's who Angel Reese is. If you tell her to not be herself, if you tell her to temper it down, make your layup and move on, like she's not going to be as good. I listen. I listen to a band. They're called Lawrence. It's a brother and sister duo with with an ensemble, but. The sister, who's a very good singer, you know, at the concert I was at, she said, yeah, when I was a little kid, my high school teacher said, you know, you make really funny faces when you sing. And it mortified me. So I tried to not do that. And then I was bad at singing. Like, it's the same thing if you, you know, don't let players be themselves. Like if Caitlin Clark wasn't a trash talker, probably wouldn't be as good as she is. So it's just Nicole, Nicole Auerbach at The Athletic wrote a whole phenomenal article about it. Copy paste. I don't need to repeat it, but what she said, I agree with. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. So that's that nothingness. LSU is your national champion. What do you have to say, Megan? You've had this. You, you didn't take the biggest L. Of all the national folks, that'd be a UConn writer, Dan Connolly, who had a November tweet that has just absolutely come back to haunt him for the rest of his life. But what do you have to say as LSU for the first time ever is a national champion? <laughs> yeah, I've spent the last uh, 
four hours in the car with Daniel coming back from Houston. So very aware that he's taking an L. But uh, yeah, I mean, it surprised me. I think what Mulkey did with that program in two years is pretty incredible. They went won nine games two seasons ago. Now they have a national title. Um, it's interesting. I don't know. Like, I didn't think they would be able to do it playing the schedule that they did. But they did, so I guess we can't really say anything about the, the week nine conference schedule. So, and I yeah, don't know. I mean, I feel like the title speaks for itself. I guess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And we'll talk about the future with LSU and some of these other national title favorites heading into next year, and that includes Iowa. We'll we'll put a bow on the Hawkeyes season. Monica Sonano is gone. Kate Martin is gone. I I know Marshall. And Warnock, I think both could use a COVID year if they chose. I think, I think Warnock is done. I think Warnock is done. Either way, sure. that, yeah. that, uh, what's it? Whatever group of five is called, that quintuplet set, whatever. They started like 100 games together. Caitlin Clark is back. Automatically, Iowa is going to be in the top 10 next year in the preseason because of her alone. There's a lot of uncertainty now for the first time in a long time in Iowa City. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, you've got pieces there like Hannah Sulky could be really good, but it's going to be interesting to kind of see how that team shapes up next year. I mean, maybe they pick someone up at the portal. But I think as good as Caitlin Clark is, we spent so much time in March talking about how their success was this like whole five-player rotation getting involved and a lot of Clark's success too, and it's not a success is the chemistry between the two of them, and that's not something you're gonna replace overnight. I think they played a lot of time together, and they they know each other's tendencies really well. So, I was absolutely still gonna be a top ten, top fifteen team, but it'll be interesting to see kind of how good they can be next year. I hope people realize that Monica Sanano. I don't think she was an All American ever, but she scored two thousand points in her career. She's probably an All Big Ten performer if not all four years, at least two or three. She's, you know, an incredible player who she doesn't have the stats of Caitlin Clark or Megan Gustafson or some of these other high-profile Iowa players in recent years. She's a damn good player who had a very, very good career. Which leads us to the run that Caitlin Clark had. They came up a game short. Cool. I said it before. I was you know, I was in diapers and Cheryl Swoops scored 40-plus in a national title game in 93. I don't think you were born yet. Greatest individual run I've ever seen by a man or a woman in an NCAA tournament. Yeah, she was just incredible. The performance that she put on in, I mean, the Elite Eight, the, the Final Four game, even, even their loss in the national championship still have 30 points. It's incredible to watch what she was able to do over the past few weeks. And Yeah, bonafide megastar in the women's game who has one more she has the option to take two more years if she wants it. Now it's the offseason. We can debate all we want about whatever we want. I just hope there was too much discourse online on you know leading up to Friday and then Friday night into Saturday about you know where she ranks already. It was it was a little too much. Like, appreciate she had a 41 point triple double in the Elite Eight, followed by a 41 point near triple double against again the undefeated defending champs with maybe the best defense ever. Like I hope people appreciate and embrace the magnitude of that. 
Now, if you're an Iowa State or a Minnesota or a Wisconsin fan, like, sure, hate Caitlin Clark. It's fine. Like, you're allowed because you don't like Iowa. That's, you know, it's you're you're required by law to hate them. But if you're not, appreciate and embrace the greatness that you just saw because you may never see it again. Like, there's no guarantee I will make the tournament next year. It, it's hard to replicate what she just did. And it doesn't take away, you know, I feel like people were saying, oh, well, she's not, you know, either she was or isn't better than Brandon Stewart or Diana Taurasi or Shamiqua Holdsclaw or like none of what they did or what she did, like none of that's any worse or, you know, it's not watered down because of what she did. So I just hope people appreciate what happened the last two weeks. And now season's over, go complain and go to Twitter and do whatever you do on Twitter. Yeah, exactly. I think we take away a little bit of the moment by having at least like debates of who's the greatest of all time, which like doesn't necessarily need to be had. I think we could just appreciate like the run in the moment. And it is definitely one of the best individual runs of all time. So. Alas, first Final Four for Iowa in 30 years. Come up one game short. LSU is your national champion. We're already on to next year, folks, because the transfer portal is alive and well. Megan, I don't know how much you've been able to follow it. I mean, it's it's very hard to follow the transfer portal from a national perspective, but I don't know if you've seen some of the bigger names that have either entered it or have already left, but do you have any kind of general overviews of what you've seen thus far from the portal? Yeah, I think I'm sure there's still more coming. I think we've seen a lot of like great role player type pieces that are in it at the moment i don't know that there's any you know angel reasons in the the transfer portal right now in terms of the type of magazines move i think we saw a lot of big time moves like that last season i don't think we not that there could be someone coming but we don't haven't necessarily seen i think those types of names but i mean there's some big players in there you've got less Darski at iowa state shade wilson out of duke I'm definitely forgetting a couple because I'm now just starting to think about next year. But I think a lot of players that are going to make great additions to some teams. Yeah, Ole Miss got Kennedy Kennedy Todd Williams from UNC. She averaged 13 a game. Uh, UNC replaced her, not quite like for like, but Maria Gakdang, the 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 BC big who blocks a billion shots, and then Louisville got a big pickup yesterday. They got Jada Curry from Cal, the uh, who led the Pac-12 in scoring what last year when she was Rookie of the Year, so a big-time score, so a good get for Louisville. That's suddenly that a trio of Curry, Cochran, and Van Lith that looks awfully good in the ACC. Uh, quickly, some other names we don't really have to talk about it. Tahina Pow Pow left Oregon, so that wildly heralded freshman class is pretty much all gone now from Eugene. Um, in fairly disappointing fashion. Jakia Brown-Turner started four years at NC State. You mentioned Day Wilson. You mentioned Donarski. Um, there's a couple of... Lauren Park Lane. She's in the portal. Did you know that? Yeah, you're, you're I did. Big, big I forgot person. about it, but I did. Yeah, yeah. That'll be... That should be fun to see where she lands. If you don't know who Lauren Park Lane is, she like 4'11", who's listed at 5'2", and she scores 20 points a game. Very entertaining. Kiki Jefferson of JMU averages 18 a game. She was a Sunbelt Player of the Year, Patriot League Player of the Year. Franny Hottinger, hope I said that right, 20 points a game at Lehigh. So there's there are points out there um, in the transfer portal. So as we move on to the final segment here, this is all going to be blown up because of the portal. But look ahead to next year. We don't have all the pieces in place yet. Do you have a couple of teams 
that you like to be early favorites to cut down the nets in, I don't know where the Final Four is next year. Uh, Cleveland. Cleveland or Columbus? Cleveland. Cleveland, I think. Fun times in Cleveland again. Hey, Cleveland. (laughs) So do you have any, any, uh, do you have a couple of teams out there that you think early, early favorites as, you know, we always have to rank teams, even though the season ended three days ago. Yeah. Well, I think the obvious one is, is UConn, assuming that they are healthy. If, uh, I mean, you got Paige Beckers, AZ Fudd, Nika Mule as a starting backcourt. That's, I think most teams would like to have that be their starting backcourt, assuming those three can stay healthy. And then I think, you know, the run that, that has been from this year in combination of some of the other pieces they hope to get back from injury and then their personal thoughts coming in. I think their team, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see them kind of overall, like, favorites. Um, they're, they're losing some, but what they're bringing back from injury is, is pretty significant. Uh, another team that I kind of got on my radar is Ohio State. I think Jason Sheldon coming back, what we saw from Cody McMahon in the the tournament and the postseason this year, and that's just the freshman. He's now going to have a season off. They, they're one area they've really struggled with is in the lane, but I think if you could get a big jump from her going into her sophomore season, that would be a big, a big jump there for for Ohio State as well. Um, trying to think what else. A lot of it is like going to come down to what happens in the portal. I think we have a lot of teams that have a handful of really good players that are going to need to figure some things out. I mean, I think, you know, a team like Notre Dame, you know, what they did this year when Lyles was healthy. They they lose Darren Mabry. They probably need to get another shooter in there, but I think they could be really, really good going into the season. And that Miles is back. I feel like I'm not so old. Yeah, I have a couple written down. Uh, Utah, I know you weren't as yeah. high on the Utah's others, but they, in theory, bring back everybody, including Pac-12 Player of the Year, Alyssa Peely, so they'll probably be in the top five. But again, now it's, we mentioned this last week, it's one thing to climb to new heights as a program. It's another when you are now the known commodity who everyone's going to give you your A game, so the Utes have to handle with that. Uh, Virginia Tech, we mentioned them. They play six players. They lose three of them, but the important ones, they're all important. I don't want to I, I change wording there. The two stars, Elizabeth Kitley and Georgia Amor are back. So Virginia Tech has questions, but they'll be there. Um, we mentioned Iowa. Indiana, Mackenzie Holmes is back. Yarden Garzone lose Grace Berger, but there's some pieces there for, for Indiana. Yeah, a great top of the Big Ten should be a lot of fun once again. What do you do with... LSU, Angel Reese, she's going to be a national player of the year candidate. Flage Johnson will be a sophomore. You lose Ladeja Williams, Alexis Morris, and Jasmine Carson. You bring in the top recruiting class in the nation, depending on your preferred ranking of choice. Michaela Williams is the number two recruit as a point guard. I imagine they're going to hit the portal. I don't think LSU is going to take much of a drop off, even though I really think Morris and Williams are big losses. Yeah, I agree. I think. We'll probably see them pick up someone good in the portal. I think they're recruiting class coming in, still having Reese, having Blase as a sophomore. I think they're going to be really good at that that conversation for sure next year. What do you do with South Carolina? They lose Boston, Beal, and me here. Cook, I would imagine, 
She hasn't announced anything yet. I imagine she goes pro. So that leaves Camilla Cardoso, who will probably be an All-American next year. I think she's that good. Bree Hall, I like what I saw from her. I think they'll still be really good. They won't be undefeated good. But I think I think people are going to forget about the Gamecocks, and then they might sneak up on people come December. They might start like ranked 8th, ninth, 7th, and then it wouldn't shock me if by conference play they're in the top five. Yeah, I think that it's probably going to take them a little bit to adjust. Obviously, this is going to be a huge change. You're not graduating just, you know, one or two stars, but really more of what your team has been for four seasons now. So that's that's going to take some time to adjust to, but they still have a ton of talent on that roster. And it, like you said, it might take a few months to come together, but I think it's still going to be very good next year. And then two Pac-12 teams. I think UCLA could be a potential dark horse. They made the run to the Sweet 16. They lose Charisma Osborne. Kiki Rice, I think, is going to be a star. Emily Bissoir, London Jones, yep. Gabriella Hawkes, all these freshmen who are sophomores, they're only going to get better. Maybe they're a year away, but I really like UCLA next year. And I don't know what to do with Stanford. Do you? I yes. don't know. Stanford is a giant question mark. Now, I think they we saw so many things that they struggled with this season, but they're going to be um, larger problems next season without, you know, your blue Haley Jones. You have break. I think you have bats, which could make their front court really good. But I don't know that like the the shooting and the offense issues that we saw this year. I don't know that there's an obvious solution to them. And what's coming back this year? I agree. I I think the voters that be will put Stanford probably four or five spots higher than they should be, just because their name is Stanford. Cameron Brink is an All American. I'm not questioning that. I'm questioning a lot of other things heading into next year for the Cardinal. So that'll certainly be interesting. So that's year one. Megan will wrap a little early because you're sitting in an airport and you probably like you need to sleep, right? Like you haven't, and you have a job. Yeah, allegedly. I'm, I need to, yeah, I need to work. And I, yeah. I've probably slept like 10 hours total the last three days. So I, I need sleep. <laughs> What's on the off season plan? Do you still, I don't know, uh, forgive me for my ignorance here. How much and to WNBA coverage are you, uh, just, you know, give us a nice sense of what, what your off season looks like. Yeah, I'll be, I'll do a little bit of WNBA coverage, but keep it late to enjoy the summer. Um, but we'll do some sporadic off college coverage throughout the season the summer and then be back full steam in october for the preseason you got vacation plans yeah i've got i don't know not a lot figured out yet but um going down to mexico in a few weeks so that'll be a fun trip and then there'll be more the summer well <laughs> thank you for joining us this is i think a phenomenal relationship her hoop stats has with us at learfield Enjoy your off season. I hope you had fun in the last few months and hopefully you get some sleep and I hope that you treat the whiteboard because I'm sure it misses you. <laughs> yes. Follow Megan at Megan Gower. I'm at R underscore Joyce 34. We still have baseball coverage through the end of the season. Shas Khan and the guys, I believe Stephen Hartzell and Matt Norlander will put a bow on the men's season later on this week. Thank you for a phenomenal few months here. We've grown a lot on the women's side of things in just a very short period of time. So thank you for listening, downloading, rating, subscribing, all that good stuff, interacting with us on Twitter when we were right. And yes, a couple of Iowa fans when we were wrong as well. Enjoy the off season. Congrats to LSU. Everyone enjoy the rest of your week.